We're Kenyon and Takara Martin, faith-based marriage coaches, champions for healthy love, and lovers of pizza. And this is the Ask the Martins podcast, where we answer your single, married, or dating relationship questions with practical advice and research-based techniques. Have a relationship question you want answered? Well, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Ask the Martins or visit us at AskTheMartins.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. All right. All right. All right. You ready for this first letter? I'm ready to get into this first letter, y'all. Okay. Y'all saw the title. Um, She says, I don't know where to even begin or who to talk to. Embarrassed to go to our church because I feel ashamed. My husband and I are newly married six months. My first marriage, his third. The changes started immediately after the wedding and things have not gotten better. Sorry, and things have not gotten better. A lot of it is about money. I make a higher income than him, but he feels I should be the one to pay more, which I do, but no appreciation or thank you. I found out recently he was hiding money from me. I got angry and my frustration has put me in a mindset that I made a mistake, uh, that I made a mistake marrying him and I've shut down. I married him for love, but tired of feeling used. All right. All right. So. You ready to get started on this one? Oh, I'm I'm ready. I have things. Okay. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. Um, this one was a little bit different because of all the issues that was going on inside of it. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to answer it, but we're going to answer it after we give after we build up to that answer, only because uh, we want to make sure that you understand why we're th- where, why we are where we are. Right. Um, the first thing when it comes to all the different issues that she had that needed to be addressed, the first thing I saw is that she was embarrassed to ask her church for help. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll jump into that. She, um, his disposition seemed to change right after they got married. That's an issue right there as well. She feels like he is ungrateful for what she does financially. That's a problem. And finally, he is being dishonest, um, financial infidelity. I will call it. He's hiding money from her so when all this stuff comes together right what is her main question if we could pull a question out there that's not so obvious but it's really kind of what she's asking what is her main question um what i pulled out was did i make the right decision marrying him right did i make the right decision marrying him and so the that's it's really hard because the asking that kind of question of someone outside your marriage is already um, putting your marriage or putting how it came together up into up for um, critique, if you will. Yeah. And it's it. And that's a very, very vulnerable thing. This is not something that you want to do all the time. But based upon the information we have, we can kind of give some level of um, insight. Right. And also, I mean, the putting it up for critique, yes, but it also is a lot of times when people come to us with questions, it's not specifically or necessarily always for insight. Sometimes people are looking for permission to go with what they're feeling anyway. Absolutely. So to look to a third party to come, you know, to come and like weigh in, it means all you're looking is for a better opportunity or like a one good opportunity for somebody to push you over to the direction that you're already headed. And I think, you know, that's what I wanted uh, to be mindful of in this is that we don't want to tell you what to do in this situation. We'll give you our feedback. We'll give you our opinion. But ultimately, decision is yours. We can only tell you what we see. So first right. thing is um, understand that hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look back. And we're going to look at what usually drives people to this type of position or this type of predicament. Right. Um, And if this applies to you, apply it. Make sense? Yep. Okay. So usually in these type of situations, you have a person who's been married uh, one year. uh, This is their first marriage. I'm sorry. And the person who's already been married three times that has um, that has a level of 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 acumen to it that has a level of social commentary to it which i'll address in a little bit but the first thing i'm seeing or the first time when we usually see situations like this we're usually seeing relationships that were rushed they were whirlwind romances 
uh, they were swept off their feet, uh-huh. and then they was rushed into getting married. And getting married was, uh, as, especially for a person in this situation who's, uh, this is their first time, this is their dream come true. If it's the person who's the, it's their third time, this is just another walk around the park, if you right, will. Right. And so this rushing, this rushing can create um, a level, um, it's like driving really fast. And you can't see out your blind sides. Mm-hmm. And so you get blindsided. Makes sense? You yep. don't see none of the stop signs. You don't see none of the red flags. You get blindsided, all right? So the second thing I see when you rush these things, are the reasons why this can be the case um, or why you get so far into a marriage or and marry somebody and then turn around the day after, right. like immediately after you felt found that you don't want to be married to them. It's because of the pub, highly publicized way in which you uh, uh, proclaimed your marriage, if you will. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Especially if you feel like it was sent by God. Absolutely. The one thing I found very interesting is that they were embarrassed to reach out to the church. Mm-hmm. And that's indicative of the strongly indicative of one of two things. Optics. Meaning that we looked good in the church, we looked good for the church, and now we now we're going in for help. Uh-huh. And optics come from blowing up a relationship and then believing your own hype. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Where you? Um, I want to make sure I see where you're at because I'm trying to follow along to make sure I don't step over you. Mm-hmm. I think to. And let me just encourage newlyweds really quickly right here in this moment. Your first year of marriage, you should be getting all the help. Like y'all have been in this for six months. And I I think that's the problem with growing up in in church the way that we have in that this whole fake it till you make it culture. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, you know what everybody everybody going to church. The church is a hospital. Don't, don't nobody believe they're sick. And so when you don't have uh, transparency and leadership that says, hey, it's okay to get help when you don't have a good support system around you that you're not trying to uh, fool um, that that can tell you why help is needed in the first year. Like, mm-hmm. y'all, trust me, it's really, really unnecessary to hide from the troubles of year one in a marriage because they exist and they are real. So there's no shame if you are Whatever's going on in your marriage, thinking like, if I go get help now, it must mean I made a mistake. No, if you if you go get help now, it must mean you're trying to cut off any potential like damage from like spiraling into other years of marriage. Or a lot of people end up divorced early on in marriage because they or annulled or annulled because they don't feel the need to uh, or they don't see the necessity of getting help, and they feel like if I get help too soon, it must mean that I made a mistake. No, it means you're human, and joining together as one is not for the faint of heart. So, like, please don't ever feel like you can't get help because it's too soon. Get that absolutely. help. Absolutely, absolutely. Sorry. The uh, no, no, no. That's great. The other side of this, as far as far as the church is going to uh, concern, generally speaking, when people come to us and they're embarrassed to go to these particular venues Mm -hmm. the other end of this that we have received a lot is that this is a person who is actually high ranking in the church or a person who is um very uh very seen a lot in the church yep you see what i'm saying and so they're up in front go ahead or no finish finish. no 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 no. go ahead i'm like or um and i can speak from my own personal experience maybe you you're ashamed because you were warned not to marry this person so soon or you were you were warned that maybe yes. something was off you needed to wait and take your time a bit like a lot of times if we don't want to go to our church some maybe and this is Takara's experience you don't want to go because you don't want to admit that maybe somebody around you was right about waiting and not marrying that person absolutely well. so with those kind of things in mind, the, the, these are our observation and experiences of the past of how people get to this point and how people get to this point, especially young ladies, get to this point without seeing red flags. Yes. We personally don't believe his disposition changed overnight. Right. We believe that you just did not see his disposition based upon the nature of the way he was dating. Now, I know this is this is a word that we hear all the time. All the time, but go ahead and say it because it's, it's real. But it's real, and I'm not I'm not saying that this person is is this, but this is a method. Um, narcissists typically do what's called love bombing. They rush you uh, into a, a committed relationship. They rush you real strong into 
a relationship that only focuses upon them where they can highly control you. And then once they get you, they utilize commitment as a leverage in order to uh, main, maintain you. So they have no problems with like up to and including marriage as a leverage or a lever in order to get your commitment and loyalty. Yeah. And one thing that love bombing does too, especially when you're dating someone who is, they say they are a Christian is, but it also controls how and what they allow you to see of them mm -hmm. as well. So it's, it's controlling you controlling the environment in which you fall in love with them, controlling everything. But it also, if I can throw all of this at you so quickly up front, it's going to stop you from uh, questioning more about the negative qualities that I may have, or it's going to stop you from seeing visually, um, actually literally um, seeing the flaws that they are coming with and those red flags. And so it's like, it, it, even if this person is not a diagnosed narcissist, there's still a method to how they wooed you and got you in here. It's like they clubbed you over the head and dragged you. No, they didn't club you over the head. They actually like literally loved on you until you couldn't see anyone else but them. It's game. It's game. So let's let, so we don't have to always say narcissist. Let's let's say this. Um, typically, people who are trying to hide themselves and are insecure about what you might see will take make your relationship a blur so they can hurry up, hurry up and get you to the finish line. Listen, and and if money was a big deal, even like when y'all were dating, I guarantee you that at some point he made it known that he would spend his last on you. He was like spending money and dropping stuff on you in the early beginning to make you feel like he was going to be, e baby, even if I don't make as much as you, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take care of you in the beginning. Go mm -hmm. ahead. That's games. And speaking of money, game. Here's the here's the huge problem in all of this is that at the very beginning, this for you at least, mm -hmm. this switch flipped. And because it flipped for you, we're telling you that he's always been like this and he had already planned to hide this money. He didn't just start hiding money Man, from you. Listen. He's been hiding from money from you. So it's like someone who has been cheating on you. It's not that they just started cheating on you. They've been cheating on you. You're just now seeing it and he doesn't really care about you seeing it because now he has you. You are now committed. Listen. Does that make sense? You better preach. And so with that being the case, what you have here is you have someone who doesn't want to show you appreciation. They don't think they need to show you appreciation because they never appreciated you they had already had always had it in their plans not to um not to give you too much um give back too much to you and to hide from you this has always been a part of the process the biggest issue is how you got here this that's the issue right okay go ahead i'm like not only do they not appreciate you they feel like they're doing you a favor by being with you Mm -hmm. Like, it's not even just about appreciation. Somebody who has been this manipulative all the way up until the day, like, we got married and all of a sudden that switch flipped, they literally do feel like, um, and they treat you as if they've done you a favor by being with you. And that's why it's like, I feel like I'm now waking up from a daze because who is this person? Like, who are you? And it's like, and now I get no appreciation for being you know who I am. So, and here's the thing: just uh, stepping a little bit to the left of the coaching Go ahead, experience and getting to my own personal bias, I have a problem with a, a man who is willing to not take care of his wife. I, I don't, I don't, out. I don't care about the differences in income. What I care about is I have a problem with a man who's not willing to be vulnerable, open, transparent and willing to take care of his wife. That's a problem. That's a liar. That's a thief. And he sought who he may devour. That was you. Make sense? Yep. So if this was us counseling you and we had you come in or we had you not come in here, not with COVID, but right. if, we, if, we, if we got a chance to talk to you, right? Yep. We would ask some, some kind of way, maybe through a fire chat. We would ask you a few questions. One of the first questions I will ask is how long were you together prior to marriage? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, or was the marriage fast tracked? That's very important because then it, that gives us clues to how it was manufactured. Number two is how long after his last divorce or his last relationship did he start dating you? Mm -hmm. Typically, people like this always keep somebody in their pocket. 
Right. They always keep somebody connected because they're always in a, in, in a need to use someone. Yep. Number three is how long was the engagement? Typically in these type of scenarios, the engagement isn't that long or it's longer, but very well manipulated. Right. OK. Right. Um, the, the next question is, what were the reasons for his prior divorces? Now, I would never, ever, as a, as a person, as a man, as a human who have failed in the past as well, I would never demonize someone for having failed or, been, or being failed in a relationship. But success leaves clues and so does failure. So That's it's right. important to reach back and see what his resume says. What was going on there that created the uh, necessity for those things to happen? Why couldn't you? Why didn't the first three work? And what is different about you? And what is different about him in this one? Right. Again, he has to be different. If he's no, if he's no different, then um, there's a there's already a setup problem for you right there. Um, and then finally, I will ask, did you ever have premarital counseling? And I'm not talking about church fluff. I'm yeah, not talking like about church premarital counseling, like have sex is the best weapon in your marriage. Right. Like, or or, <laughs> or, I'm, or or just just strong prayer up until the date. Or um, I'm not talking about somebody who's championing your marriage because they really like him because he's really good at the optics and you adore that. You see right, what I'm saying? Right. I'm talking about someone who is taking you through the paces in order to find the red flags that you missed. Mm-hmm. That's very important because what we found is that as coaches, <clears throat> we have ran into people who did not belong together. Like you should not get married. You should not get married. But because we saw the sparkle in their eye, we wanted to support wherever they were. But so we so we counseled or coached lightly in the sense that this is what you guys need to work on. We we pointed out all their problems, but we also and promote we, it working on those problems rather than saying you know what this is the reason why this probably why you're gonna have problems like hardcore problems and you then, see what i'm saying right and then we were also very honest like even though and we i don't think we yeah. allowed them to get married but like one of the things uh that we made sure that we did is saying like if you don't correct these things your marriage will not work like we were very open about like these are the main things that is going to tear your marriage down and within a year and a half that was those are the things that tore their marriage down because they didn't work on it right but i think one of the things that i learned early on um sadly i it i still didn't end up getting this type of premarital counseling until kenyan but one of the things that i learned <laughs> early on is that premarital counseling is not supposed to push you closer together towards marriage and happily ever after premarital counseling if done right is supposed to challenge you right it's supposed to like make you like take a step back and say oh okay no i didn't even see that before because you know your your cloudy gate love struck eyes missed it like premarital counseling is supposed to challenge your beliefs your culture and everything you think you know about that person as you're joining in and becoming one. And if all premarital counseling does was just make you lovingly hold hands and look into each other's eyes, it wasn't the right kind of counseling. That's true. And that's at the end of it, you should be able to say we came through this stronger because it challenged you. Premarital counseling is supposed to equip you. But if it does not make you stronger through that process, Absolutely. You might you might want to question that. I guess after you saying that, what I would have done differently in the past, because we were open and honest, what, the only thing I would have done differently in the past is say postpone it till you get these situations worked out. Yeah. Rather than get married and work on them. Yeah. I think that's what I would have said in yeah. the past. And what I would have said to this young lady here, if if, if we were able to talk to her, uh, we would have told you no. We would have seen it. Yeah, we would have seen all of either his sociopathic, narcissistic or psychopathic tendencies. And we would have been like, yeah, this guy is not real for you. He's not real. And it's easy for me to see him because usually those type of those type of men like to suck up and they like to like to get your favor and smile at you and all that kind of stuff. But also in my past experience, they didn't want that kind of counseling. Right. Absolutely. They wanted fluffy counseling that made them feel better and that affirmed them. They didn't want to go to a real therapist, a real counselor that is going to challenge you. That's going to, you know, give you an assessment and look at your money habits and look at how you think about roles in the relationship and look at like how you approach problems and how you approach conflict. And then those assessments also look at, you know, what are your main conflicts? You know, right now, people who are intent on hiding who they are do not want to be put in any situation that is going to expose who they are before they get what they want out of mm. you. So it, it's it's challenging 
I find it difficult to believe that he would have even agreed to that type of intense counseling. That's very true. That's very true. That's very true. With that being said, the question is, did you make a big mistake or did you make a mistake marrying him? To be honest with you, if we were to be absolutely honest, gut level honest and in your face honest, we will say with loving hearts <laughs> and with, with 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 great encouragement and empathy, yes, yeah. you made yeah. a terrible mistake. Yep. You made a mistake because you married a liar. You married someone who was financially a, a financial infidel. Yeah. He is financially disloyal to you. He uses you. He doesn't appreciate you. And he doesn't care. With that being the case, that's a mistake. And that's something that needs to be dealt with. Now, now that you're here. Really quickly. Go ahead. In that yes, because verbalizing, yes, I made a mistake, or even somebody else saying, yes, girl, you made a mistake, it's still heartbreaking. Like, it still hurts. Absolutely. Like, and so there's no shame in saying you make a mistake. We make mistakes all the time, every single day, and all of us to varying degrees. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, we've made the marriage mistakes, too. We've made them. So there's no shame in saying, oh, my God, I think I made a mistake. But then the question becomes, what do we do now that we're here? There you go. There you go. What do we do? You start because you was finna say something. <laughs> <laughs> like you was gonna say something. <laughs> what we do, girl? Because I'm on. I'm on the road. I'm just. I'm, well, okay, so okay, okay. I, it, so you going? Well, I'll go if you want me to. Okay, let me just hit this real quick. Hit that real quick. The very. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the very first thing you should do if you if you're in a situation like this because of what Takar said, it is still a heartbreaking situation. What you have to do is step back and be honest with yourself about what you're seeing, yeah. because it's going to be extremely important that everything you do or decide to do from this moment on can't be um, can't be influenced by him because obviously he knows how to influence you. Right. So what you have to do is come to a point and saying, this is what I'm seeing. This is who this is. This is the decision that I'm going to make. We're not telling you to jump out. We're saying, yeah, perhaps it was a mistake, but there are some things to do about that. But it starts with the way that you think first. Yeah. It starts where, where your head is at first. And if you can't get your head around um, past the heartbreak or past the optics or past the embarrassment, then you'll always be stuck trying to show something else than what you're actually living. Yeah. And so what you want to do is you want to actually be transparent and open about this right here. My second situation, my second thought process is a two kinds of counselors or two kinds of people in your life. First, an actual therapist counselor for your marriage. Get someone in there who can actually see who this person is. The great thing about um, about therapists is that they can diagnose. And therapists can diagnose your pain. Therapists can diagnose toxicity. Therapists can diagnose behavior. And even if they don't get to the full nine points of narcissism or saying that this person is just just whatever, they can actually focus and say that this person is evil, mean, and cruel to you, and this person has already rationalized that th that it's okay. They can see past the masks. That's number one. Yes. Well, okay, finish the therapist thing before I, because I want to make sure I don't say what you're about to say. Go. Okay, okay. Number two, just number two, really, really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you need another type of person in your life, another type or piece of counsel. This is not a therapist. You need someone with authority that they, that he respects. Mm -hmm. And he's not going to go to him because he respects him. He doesn't want to look bad in front of him. But there needs to be someone in your life that he respects, that you could be transparent with, that could go to him and tell him to straighten up. Because that's what a man actually needs in that particular point in time that, hey, listen, this is not how you conduct your household. This is not how you treat your wife. This is not how you do this. You do this in a different way. What, and, and then, and, but don't just beat him down, correct him. What are your goals with your life? What are your financial goals? What are you trying to hit and how are you trying to do it? How can I help you so that you don't have to lie to your wife anymore, so that you don't have to um, uh, be disloyal to her anymore? He needs someone there who can demonstrate and show him what it is to be a man. And then at that point in time, he decides what he's going to do. Does that make sense? Because yeah. at the end of the day, he's going to be deciding the kind of man he's going to be or the kind of husband he's going to be if he maintains that position for long. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, um, I would say, and even before you bring up counseling, I think you need to, 
once you are honest with yourself and you're fine, because I, I don't even know it, like if you really had a talk with him after you discovered that he's been hiding money. That's um, true. I think a big conversation needs to be, do you want this marriage? Like before we go to counseling, before we spend money, before I feel like I got to drag you somewhere, like, do you want to be here? Like, can we just answer that first? And then honestly um get to a place where they agree to going to therapy with you then you find a therapist that will see you individually because one thing that will happen if you do have someone who is narcissistic or sociopathic or whatever you're going to find someone who will be two completely different people with you in the room with that therapist and with that therapist alone um, but then also you need to be able to have private one-on-one -on -one conversations to talk about your feelings uncensored you need to be able to have these conversations and not um, feel like you're going to uh, say the wrong thing and offend them so be able to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations where you both can be open and honest and then your therapist can come up with a plan of attack for you both together the last thing I want to say here to actually i have two last two remaining things um one there is such a, if you're going to remain married and you decide that um you're going to move forward with this it has to be done in full transparency like kenya said he has to be open and honest and treat this as if he's cheated on you sexually like he has to like seriously open book therapy and really begin to show you a difference in who he is and who he's going to become mm -hmm. um so that's that's number one. I think the other thing I wanted to say about this is that there's no shame um, in this and where you're at and what you're feeling. Read a beautiful, wonderful article this week that basically talked about how a lot of successful women feel stupid because they end up in these relationships because they feel like it makes them weak. Like, I should have known better. I should have been better. I should have seen these things. I'm too smart for this. I'm educated. I make good money. Like, how did I fall for this? Mm -hmm. When the actuality is narcissists and abusers fall for strong women because they know they will not have to work hard to please you. And when things get rough, they know that you're going to flip that thing around and work even harder to make that marriage work, make that relationship work and honestly start serving them instead of uh, them coming back and actually being um, sorry for what they've done. There was a lot that I had to overcome before I could really fully receive who he was and what he was offering. So I told him everything that I was bringing to the table. I told him, yes, I'm in therapy. You're gonna need to wait a little bit before we can really kick it. But then what happened was what a covering looks like. He basically said, listen, I see your emotional abuse. I see the physical abuse that you've gone to, that you've gone through but I'm going to raise you a covering. But really what that did was it helped me understand that his job was never to pay for the pain that anyone else caused me. What his job was as a husband was to make sure that I never encountered that pain again. His consistency, his security, his stability came in and guarded that. And so, yes, I see what you've gone through, but I'm going to make sure I'm this over here to make sure you don't ever have to consider flinching anymore because I'm upset. You don't ever have to consider thinking I'm going to leave every day because we've had an argument. I cover you. And that's what security looks like. Covered. The four essential pillars that will safeguard, support, and restore your marriage. Safety, security, trust, and empathy. Learn how these four words can change everything about your relationship. Visit CoveredMarriages.com. That's CoveredMarriages.com. Coming soon to Audible. But get a postnuptial agreement if you're afraid. <laughs> <laughs> postnuptial agreements are a thing, and he should be willing to sign one to make sure that you're protected, whatever goes down from here on then out. Then he can hide his money wherever he wants to. I think, you know, and now that I sit back and think about it, and I see all your questions, I see um, what Miss Chrissy is saying. I want to I wanna hit on those. Now that I sit back and think about it, um, I'm really trying to give this brother the benefit of the doubt in my head. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, in the back of my mind, I'm saying, well, perhaps his culture or the way he grew up caused him to have to hide things. Okay, it's and possible. so and and so, but this but, is this is, is is grievous. Yeah, this is something different. And this, it, I I can't I can't find it in me to figure out. He's going to have to that question that you had. Do you want this? Uh, do you want this marriage? That's going to be the question to ask up front and then to identify what it's going to take for you in order to keep it uh, all all hands on deck. If you want to keep it all hands on deck. Yeah. We can't tell you whether even, to step in or out. Even if he grew up like that, it's still no excuse to be like, hey, I grew up like this, but also I'm going to sit back and let my woman take care of me. Like, and right. not well, try. Right. Right. Not not like that in a sense that. It's, it's one of those things where I know that there are young men out there who have uh, who don't know any better. Right. And so they don't know that there's a difference in the way that you act and with the with the wife. Right. And so they have identified women as as um, uh, utensils or utilities to take care of them right. uh, mentally, physically and emotionally and to serve them mm-hmm. and to be their mother. But unaccountable right and so because of their their own culture or where they grew up or what was cultivated in them unfortunately they have grown to be big boys yeah um with heart with with, with insecurities and now when they're asked to step up to be a leader which is what a husband is they don't know how to respond to that Mm -hmm. and so i'm trying to find it in myself i know i hit it hard but i'm trying to find it in myself to see that there's an other side to that where Possib- you're right. there's a possibility. But this, again, this is still grievous. It's something that, you know, now that you're in the middle of it, it was but, it was his in, all these actions are his intention. So if it's a if it's a bad uh, cultural experience, if it's bad, like a bad part of how he grew up, then that's an issue that needs to be fixed. But if also, it's bad character. Huh, huh? I said, but then also, who was your pastor? Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, sorry, go ahead. Right. But and then if it's if it's um, if it's just his character, that's screwed up as well. Mm-hmm. But you just asked answer asked the other question answer the other question. Obviously there's a relationship with the church because we're scared to go to the church right. to respond to this. And so how is your and that's and that's again the full circle place that I keep coming to is absolutely that could be a cultural thing. But if y'all are in church and both of y'all like are, you know, serving in church or just like going to church, one thing that, that we always look for is church leadership that valued family but but taught leadership in the home and so if their pastor you know male or female there there should be a, a strong male representation of church leadership somewhere in there that someone else can look to and that's where that accountability comes from you know small groups you know having other men around like that whole openness and accountability the fact that you're in church and you're afraid to go to church also feels like you don't have church leadership in place that is also being an example of leadership of husbandry of being a priest you know what i mean right or someone who actually fed in and believed the garbage that they believed his representative yeah yeah um someone uh miss chris miss chris miss chris yeah she had said she had talked about how um you, you can go back. I'm sorry. I don't want to. Because like, if I touch it, I'm going to break it. No, you're good. <laughs> I, I'm heavy handed. Like how they'll, if you go into therapy, they'll turn the therapist against you. Yeah, they, they will turn the therapist against you because they're trying to get you to be fixed and, and, not, and, and not them. They're trying to make sure that you get compliant. The problem with that is that those therapists, um, that's how, when you're looking for therapists, you want to shop for therapists. We have something on our IG that you put yeah, up. Yeah, there's something on our page that talks about the t- type of questions that you should be asking. Absolutely. Um, because a therapist should see through this. They should see through it. Yeah. they, And that's why you interview. You don't just go to the first person that you meet. Right. Um, some therapists don't give free consultations. But if you ask and you explain to them what might be going on, a lot of times they will, you, they will allow you to ask them some questions. Um, the good ones should because it is such a, a sensitive situation. Um, somebody else that I sat in premarital therapy and watched my now ex-husband as an actor to impress the therapist. When you're going to premarital counseling too though, y'all get these assessments. One thing about those assessments is like, it's it's tricky 
But a lot of times you can't fool those tests. And certain things do come out in those tests when they, you know, when you're going through those. So absolutely going through couples therapy and, and premarital counseling, like, yes, act to impress. That also means they didn't do anything to challenge you. Did they do anything that caused conflict that caused you to question whether or not y'all could uh, put each other first? If you could not have your family, you know, if your family was going to interfere, did they do things to challenge you about money and how you spend? Were you ever at all like being a good actor is one thing, but were you ever at all challenged to the brink that says, whoa, I'm really getting the real here? Because if it wasn't that, I don't, I don't subscribe to that premarital therapy. Yeah, you mean uh, you mean the um, premarital counseling? Sorry, from those type people. Yeah, well, from people who do not dig and use tools and devices to challenge you and expose potential conflicts, so you can see what's coming up. I've seen couples in the past do that and go for it and not end up getting married because one time the dude just like stormed off because he was not compliant in the whole process. And so you dodged a bullet. And so those kind of things, that's what couples counseling, premarital counseling is supposed to do. It should be challenging you to grow past something. And so being an actor is easy when you're not being challenged. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's what we have for that one. I know someone asked, when are y'all going to jump into the questions? Usually Wednesdays is our Q&A, but we're going to try to pick up some. But I I do want to just jump, go ahead and jump into this blended family situation. Since that was kind of short, that was kind of easy. Yeah. So do you want to read that? I do, I do. So we have a second question tonight. So again, yeah, if you guys have like, somebody said tons of questions, when are y'all asking the questions? Um, Wednesdays hit us up on Wednesdays that's when we do Q&A Wednesdays and answer all the things or in our DMs and then we'll 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 make a list of them yeah in our DMs too so um, this next question says do you have a podcast do you have podcast episodes or YouTube videos on blended families and the process of blending in the process of blending families and I really feel like it's a whole hot mess his kids are older 13 and daughter like son 13 and daughter eight and my daughter is four his oldest son lives with us full time we've been living together since august and our wedding is this april his son stays in his room barely and barely speaks and i find it so uncomfortable in the house i mean additionally his ex is bitter and has told the kids she doesn't want them at the wedding I find my fiance isn't making an effort to do things to help us blend in a successful manner, like group family activities. But also the son who's a teenager is very resistant to it. What can we do to make the blended family transition easier? Okay. So this is a blended family question. Number one, we do have a podcast on this. Uh, I don't know what the title was, but it was a few years ago, right? It, a couple. No, yeah, a couple Maybe years. A year. It was last year, actually, beginning of last year. So okay. I, if, if you remind me, I will drop it in the description on our YouTube video so y'all can uh, find it. Okay. So here's the thing when it comes to, uh, for, let me answer your questions. Let me show you what I hear or what we hear as your questions, and then we'll go from there. And this might sound hard, but this is what we hear your questions asked. Number one, how can I get his children to live in my paradigm? Mm-hmm. Number two, how can I get him to help his children fall in line? Mm. And number three, how can I get him to protect our relationship from his ex-wife? There's a reason why I hear those three questions. Because typically when uh, someone comes into the home that where the children are, They have an expectation of what we look like as a family. And because they walk in with that particular expectation, this is the expectation that they've developed in their head. They may have talked about briefly or frequently, but briefly or fast, but never really fleshed out. And they expect the children to comply with this vision of what we believe the relationship should look like. Right. Okay. So it's very important to understand that the very first thing you must understand is that you have a paradigm in which you believe the family should be. And if you have a paradigm, you might want to let that go right now because it's not going to go that way, especially with the blended family, because you're not considering who all is really involved. And I mean, really considering. Right. Okay. And and it, because it feels and it's not that it's moving fast but now living together and then you're getting married here in a couple of months like this is all happening in a span of a year right <laughs> this is really quick to expect things to just be okay 
as well. And so I think you need to consider that the blending process is already going to take time. But the fact that this is now uh, quickly approaching, I would imagine as a child, it feels um, um, like they're, they're, they're being flipped upside down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to say when it comes to that particular paradigm. What's happened is, is that you've you've dated someone, you've fallen in love with them and you superimpose that love that y'all have onto the children. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to the children because the children are getting their world upset, turned upside down, destroyed and disengaged. Mm -hmm. No one is thinking about them. They're people, too. And they don't know how to respond. They're dealing with loyalty issues. They're dealing with. Um, they're, if, especially if the um, ex-mom is having a problem, they're dealing with her hurt, her pain. You don't know how that relationship stood. So the children are taking on a lot of weight just to watch you guys come together. Right. Does that make sense? Right. And so you have to be empathetic towards that. You have to be compassionate towards that. And you have to recognize that just because you two are good together doesn't make you a good family together. At least not yet. If I'm to be honest... And I'm going to be honest, it takes about five to seven years for for a blended family to come together to a point where it's jailed or congealed. Right. Okay. Right. And so what that means is, is that there's a level of patience and consideration and guidance. And there's got to be a plan on how to pull you guys together, because what you're doing is you're taking two broken homes and trying to pull them together and they're not going to match. Does that make sense? Not only that, think about it, two broken homes. And when you think of, let's say, like you literally cut a piece out of a rope. And now, like from both of these families, there's something now that's missing in the middle. And both of them have a biological parent that's been cut out and is missing in the middle. And now you're trying to force two pieces together where something was not there before. And so there's some mending that has to happen and healing that has to happen with those children before they can even trust you in this process and so like broken homes trying to pull it together you're jerking them in the process and jerking them back and forth and it's it's not fair and we're not saying that you should like be like kissing the child's tail and like letting the child run all over you but we are saying that consideration has to look like you showing some level of empathy to what that child is experiencing and not just from this is my house and I'm going to run my house. You know what absolutely, I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the bottom line there, I see that question, but we can't answer it right now. Just give us a minute. Um, the bottom line there is that uh, you can't colonize the children's uh, world. Amen. It's, it's not for you to Go come in <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and rule. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Um, there's another approach. And so going to that second question, how can I help? How can I get him to help his children fall in line? You really can't get him. It's a it's a team effort. And so th- that's something that we've always uh, suggested called parent by proxy. I'll explain it in a little bit. But what this does is it, it helps to create boundaries. Um, it helps to open doors for consistent um, uh, conversations. And it helps to create relationships with those children in a non-threatening way. Um, oh, well, let's see. I'm going to tell you how it works right now. So here's how parenting by proxy works. The biological parent is the disciplinarian and the, uh, is the disciplinarian in the home. So what happens is that that parent stands stern based upon what we want. So let's just say um, I'm the biological parent. I talk to my children and, and let them know that we stand together or that's how I that's my um my um, demeanor, mm-hmm. okay? That's how I show. Now, whenever she sees anything wrong that's bothering her or going on with the children, she doesn't go to them. She talks to me. She doesn't talk to me to pester me about it. She doesn't talk to me to be, um, beat my children up about it. She comes to me and say, hey, listen, I'm noticing this. Um, what do you think we can do about it? We come together, we work as a team, and then I deliver the message to the children as a united front. What this does is it allows her to have say in that relationship and how to parent, but it also establishes an opening where she can actually create a relationship with the children that's non-threatening and she's not trying to force into their lives or trying to control them through disciplinary action. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Are you done with that explanation? Mm -hmm. Couple things about this though. Number one, um, 
we talked uh, last week about making sure you shore up your relationships with your exes and stuff before you get into a new relationship. The same principle applies when you're getting into a new relationship and you have children. You should already have a rhythm and a philosophy about how you raise your kids, how you discipline your kids, and your children should already be in line and respecting you before you get into another relationship. Why? Because number one, you need to be able to talk about these philosophies while you're dating and before you move in together as a blended family. So that's number one. You should already have these so that way you can have those discussions ahead of time. But then also, if you have not established boundaries with your own children, if you have not been a disciplinarian with your children, and now you're living with somebody or dating somebody who is asking you to that, it's going to be that much harder because what that's going to do is further turn the kids against the step parent because it's like, oh, so now that you're with him or her, now you want to discipline me. Now you want it. So it's their fault. It's them that's making you do this to me. Before you get into a serious relationship, get your bad kids in line if they're bad if they're not but have you need to have a strong relationship with your children you need to have boundaries established with your children and you need to um be in a position where your children respect you going into another relationship otherwise they will be able to run all over you in this process of trying to blend absolutely and just with that the the, um like takara's girls um i'm i'm with them and so they're wonderful girls. They're awesome girls. Super duper smart. Just we have a lot of fun, but I had to learn them. Yeah. And I made it intentional to learn them. So I took upon certain responsibilities to learn them, um, or certain, certain, certain responsibilities. So I had the opportunity to learn them. For instance, when before COVID, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I would, instead of them catching a the bus or whatever, I would drive them to school. During this drive, we'd either talk or not talk, we learn how to deal with each other in closed-in spaces. Right. And so we learned each other. We had um, just low, con- like, conversation back and forth or whatever the case may be. But it gave us time to really get to know each other where we were familiar enough to know that that's what they're not used to, that's what I'm not used to, how do we come in the middle, how do we learn each other, and how can I still be a a guiding figure without stepping on them. Yeah. And that's what parenting by proxy did for us. And what it can do for you is that it doesn't put the weight of Kenyon's relationship on them solely based upon like discipline, getting in line or tattletelling that, you know, Oh my God, your kid's acting up again or they're doing something. It gave them the opportunity to earn their trust and earn their respect. You two as a couple have already developed that and and fallen into that together. Those children, you have to date and court those children the same way um, in that process and learn them, right? So it's it's one of those things where because we established that, he could get to know them and do everything with them that didn't surround discipline. In our book, uh, Covered, now again, it's not about blended families, but it does talk about the blending process, you know, even with us. But the four basic principles apply even in a blended family. Safety, security, trust, and empathy. Your children in that marriage have to develop a sense of safety. They have to develop a sense of security by watching you be consistent in who you are and not Jekyll and Hyde when, you know, their dad is not around. Mm -hmm. They have to build and develop trust with you and learn to trust you. They ain't going to trust what their daddy or their mother, you know, is doing because, listen, their marriage already broke. And depending on how that marriage was broken with their own parent, it creates some rift as well. And then empathy, like learning how to empathize with those children. And so building all of that has nothing to do with discipline. And I think that's where we get into relationships with, with other people, with kids, is that we go in and was like, I'm going to this, you know, we going, it's going to be a new ship in here and I'm going to be running this ship and everything is this going to change and be my way. Right. You've got to build these things in place. Absolutely. Now, the last issue that we see in that letter was the issue of him, his ex-wife. Uh-huh. Now, that's a big issue, but he controls that issue. He doesn't control her. He controls that issue. 
What that means is, is that he has to address her and define boundaries with her and let her know where he stands and where y'all stand together. Yeah. When there's an outside influence who's willing to step in and to uh, disrupt your home, it's very, and if that comes from your side, it's important that you stand up against that. Otherwise, they take your lack of stance as uh, permission and motivation to step all on your relationship. So it's it's incumbent upon him. It's his opportunity. I mean, his, it's his obligation right. that he must step up and talk to her. Then what he does is he talks to his children. Now, he doesn't talk to his children from the standpoint of don't listen to your mom. He talks to his children from the standpoint that, hey, listen, I understand you love your mom. I understand that you um, you you feel for her. And I understand that there's a loyalty that exists there. You don't have to betray that loyalty. You can love all three of us. Yeah. All three of us can get along. You don't have to pick sides. You, we can be on all sides and we're going to all pour into you. So don't worry about it. And then don't just let the words ring because kids don't get words. Kids get actions. So you just sit and you act that way. Um, and so if the mom send the kid home with, uh, you know, you don't have to pay attention to her. Is this what your mom said? We totally understand, but you really do have to pay attention to the other adult in the home mm -hmm. because your safety is very important to her. Yeah, um, it doesn't. It, and, and, and although that your mother seems upset, it's nothing against her at all. It's just something to make sure that you're taken care of by all three of us. That's how you yeah. deal with that thing. But he has to do that. That's not for, that's not her fight. And she has to remember she can't he can't control her, but he can control the environment and uh, and the boundaries um, in that environment. Yeah. Somebody um, said, now, what motivates a man to initiate that conversation? His wife. She should be able to motivate him. Now, <laughs> and, and if I'm to be honest, that's the second motivation, because if the wife is there bothered, if the wife is bothered, oh, you bothered by that? I didn't notice that. Let me jump on that. But really, he should already have a sense of of what the what, what the atmosphere is. Let me tell you something. When it comes to men, when it comes to husbands, we, I'm just going to be honest, we're thermostats. Yeah. We're, we're not thermometers. We don't take the temperature. We set the temperature. We set the tone. That's what husbands do. That's what leaders do. It doesn't mean that we run over everybody now. I don't want y'all to get that, but we definitely set the tone for, for the environment and, uh, and atmosphere for the family. And he should already know what disturbs the environment. He right. should already know what disturbs the temperature. He should already know what's becoming, what's causing an issue with his wife, with his family with his children and he should be willing to look and say that's an issue i'm going for it yeah you and, and honestly i feel like the fact that this is happening before you guys get married um is really important because it is something too that you should be addressing in premarital counseling um you know setting those boundaries one of the the things that we see especially dads do dads dads get get, get it hard in this area is because when there's been a divorce for a lot of the time dad tends to take on all the blame and um, dad has to do a lot of making up, especially if, if the other children you know, or the other child is living with their, the biological, you know, the, the other parent. Mm -hmm. And so dad for however long you've been divorced has become the relaxed one, the fun one, the we just gonna right. have a good time one. Right. And there's a sense of guilt in how you deal with your children because of the divorce. And so I think what usually has to happen is dad has to change his mind about what that divorce meant to the children. Yes, it was unfortunate. And yes, absolutely, it hurt them. But dad does not have to spend time paying the children back for getting a divorce from their parent. You don't have to overcompensate for the failure of that relationship. Correct. And, and I think a lot of times dad men especially can begin to do that and then it, it creates a rift with the kids when they decide they want to start creating boundaries and then it creates a rift with the ex because you've been placating them this whole time and now all of a sudden things are changing too absolutely absolutely so that's something that he can do now just a few more pointers here and then i want to i want to i might i want to jump into this question right here i think so um, we got a couple over here like oh okay okay yeah, okay no, there's I mean, a few that came through over here do not do not do not do that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, here's a here's a thing. Things you don't want to do as a parent in a house who's uh, in, in a blended family. 
Okay. Right. These are things that you don't want to do. Number one, you never want to compare their kids to yours. Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing you can do because that makes you look like you see your children as better. And it makes you look like you feel like you're the better parent, whether that's what you mean or not. Whenever you start a relationship where you see how mine's do, how come yours isn't like that? You've already set up um, the other child to be worse. And and it sets up your um how you perceive that child. It personally sets you up how you perceive that child, but it also sets up how your spouse perceives you. Yeah, and it, they become instantly defensive now. Now then they start to feel like they have to protect their kid from you. Absolutely, and that's number two. Don't be overcritical. Just because we do parent by proxy, if she came to me a um, hundred times during the day that something is wrong, now she's being overcritical. Before I even relay the message to my children, and of course she knows I'll stand stand in the gap, we're going to have to have a talk about what is really going on with you. What's really what's what's wrong? What's hurting your feelings or what what's really bothering you so that they don't become um, an an unfortunate target for her frustrations with their mother. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. So criticism. Do not do not criticize that child, those children. If that young man wants to be in his room and not participate as a teenager, as a teenager, (laughs) as a teenager, that's all they do. Let that's as a teenager in the technology age. Yeah. He shouldn't have to. And I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that you just let him go and you not build a relationship with him, but you got to understand the level. Not only is he going through the, the, the stress of the, that broken relationship, but he's also hormoned up. Yeah. He's also a young man. He's also looking to find himself, which he won't find for another 10 years. Right. So you're looking at somebody who's going through a whole lot. There needs to be compassion with that. So so don't criticize him for being that. Right. All right. And then um, number four, don't be forceful and demanding without mutual um, conversation you have to do i want my children i want i want this house to be like this trust me been there done that but you have to have that mutual conversation because there are reasons if if we're to be honest there are reasons why we want to have that we want to forcefully make things comfortable for us and that's so that we can feel secure within this relationship right so that we can feel secure because really if you're the outside parent coming in you're the odd man out. You're the one that feels all alone. And you have to deal with that situation. You have to deal with that level of acceptance because that's another thing. You feel like you're being rejected by kids. The kids. They, right. They, they can reject I, I, anybody. I honestly make you want to fight them more because it's right. like, like, who do you think but you the are? Kids, right. the kids. They're going re- to reject. But um, there's a way that you approach this situation and those are the things that you don't want to approach it with. Yes, ma'am. Can I say one more thing? Because yeah. I know you want to get to some questions. Yeah. Um, actually, b- go to that last thing that you suggest and then I'll jump in and what I was going to say. Right here? All of that, like that last piece because I have okay. something just on the end of that. Okay, so just to bring that all together about the blended family, go to a um, blended family therapist and make sure that they are, um, uh, they make specialize. sure that they're specialized or at least has experience with blended families. So ask those questions. Also get the book called The Smart Step Family. That's by Ron L. Deal, The Smart Step Family. Some great advice in there that will help you get through this next five to seven years. Yeah. Um, one thing that I recommended in that other podcast that we did on blended families, I'm, I'm a big like exercise and activities person. Um, and I think obviously one of the things that kids are going through in this situation is not feeling like they have a voice in this and not to say that they should be able to run your house, but feeling like they're a part of it. And I think before you get married and before you take that step, um, sitting down and you know when all the kids are together just sitting down all right guys we're going to come up with like our home our family rules like our house rules like what are going to be the house rules here and give everybody a chance like what do you how do you want to feel how do you want to be treated you know when it comes time you know for you know tough conversations like you know what do you want like but how are we going to treat each other how are we going to respect each other and then that way when kids begin to step out of line um you know or when anybody steps out because the parents are going to have some rules the kids are going to have some rules that they're throwing in that they all agree to right Right. it's not just gonna be like ice cream every day for dinner but when you come in that and then everyone now has a sense of accountability make it pretty print it up you know and when you walk around the house and everything 
these are a part of our family rules. And remember, we said we were always going to treat each other with respect. We said we were always going to say hi. We said we were always going to, you know, go in and, you know, talk to each other about our days or whatever. Or we're always going to have dinner every evening. Whatever you set up and create, build, it starts to help build a new family culture. And if you want to get real smart with it, have everybody sign it sign all around it as part of your new family. So that way everyone has had a say in how our home is going to be ran. Absolutely. And let the adult, the adults must lead and demonstrate because kids will forget. Yeah. So or they'll test you. Thank you for listening to the ask the Martins podcast recorded live on social media and distributed to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and audible. Now we can't grow without you. So help spread the love. Wherever you found us, rate, like, share, and leave a review. We are grateful to you and appreciate you in advance. Do you have a question for us? Then visit askthemartins.com. Ask us your question or ask for a friend. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Ask the Martins podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.